Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I'm Skip Bell, your host. The focus today is what Christ accomplished on the cross. Was his sacrifice sufficient? My guest is Dr. Felix Cortez. Dr. Cortez holds the PhD in religion with a focus on New Testament literature from Andrews University. He's a member of the New Testament faculty at the Theological Seminary at Andrews. Welcome, Felix. Thank you, Skip. It's really a privilege for me to be here and with, you, uh, with those who hear this podcast. Well, perhaps the best place to start, although it seems like kind of a general question, but I want to ask you to talk for a bit about the centrality of the cross to the gospel. You know, Skip, that is a very good question to begin with because it is a, it is a strange phenomenon indeed. You know, the cross, as we know, is a, a very uh, it's a instrument of torture. And it is strange that a religion would choose the cross as a means to, to as a symbol of their God. Basically, what we're having is God crucified on the cross. And in ancient times, this was not really a good idea. You know, Romans, for example, they, they invented the cross and they well, probably not invented it, but used it. And, and they uh, pointed to Jesus on the cross, to the Messiah on the cross, as the evidence of the madness, of the stupidity of Christian religion. Uh, Pliny the Younger, for example, who interrogated Christians, probably when he was a governor in uh, Bithynia, he referred to the cross as a mental illness, okay, uh, a perverse and extravagant uh, superstition. Mm -hmm. uh, Tacitus refers to the cross as an evil, a malum, uh, something that is shameful, hideous, uh, that has become the uh, popular in, in Rome. Uh, and so even the word crux, which is the Latin word for cross, it is, there is evidence that was used as a coarse word in lower uh, population people. You know, they, they use the word to, to curse other persons. Mm -hmm. So the cross was really uh, not a good place, uh, a good symbol. And the first image that we have of a cross is a graffito in the Palatine Hill in the second century AD. And it is really, uh, it's mocking a Christian religion. It has a, a person kneeling before the cross. Um, and and, there, and in the cross, there's a man crucified with the head of an ass. Mm. And, 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 and then there is a, there is a very rough uh, graffito. It says, Alexamenos worships God. So that is, that is really a crazy thing that uh, Christians shows the cross, or I don't think they shows it, that the cross became the central element, the central symbol for Christianity. Uh, and, you know, probably it wouldn't happen because the first symbols of Christianity were symbols of victory, symbols of eternity, symbols of God's care. So the first uh, paintings, the first pictures that you find in the catacombs 
are, are for example, Abraham sacrificing the ram instead of Isaac, Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah being spit out of the fish. You have a dove, the athlete's victory palm. Uh, you have all the that uh, you have all many uh, uh, pictures referring to God's care, God's victory, God's power. Or even the peacock that probably refers to eternity, uh, according to scholars, immortality. Uh, but but then after the second century, the the cross began began to come began to come more and more um, uh, important in the in the paintings until it became the central symbol for Christianity. The cross is very difficult to to explain when you're doing um, Christianity is a proselyte uh, uh, religion, a religion that seeks a missionary religion, a, a religion that seeks uh, uh, to gain to 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 win more people as as members of of the religion. As a missionary religion, the cross is very difficult to explain. It, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So. It is an interesting thing, and I think the only reason that the cross became central for Christianity is because it was central for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made it the center of his message. After he had um, established in the in the disciples the belief that he was the Messiah, once they, th- they understood and they believed that he was the Messiah, once they reached that conclusion, then Jesus began to explain to them that he was going to die on a cross and that was necessary and that was according to God's plan. It was not going to be uh, a surprise and that he was going to resurrect. And he repeated in explicit times, uh, three times, very clearly, explicit words uh, when he was going in the last journey to Jerusalem. In the last week before his death, uh, scholars uh, have uh, identified at least seven occasions in which Jesus referred to the cross before he died. And there are many other things. Paul talks about the gospel as the gospel of the cross, as, as, as the message of the cross. So the cross is central. The only reason it is central is because it was central for Jesus. It was central for Paul. It was central for the Gospels. If you go to see the Gospels, the Gospels, um, John, for example, the the, the, the story of, of the last days of Jesus, the last few days of Jesus, the last week, is, is uh, from probably John chapter 12 to John 22. So it is the half of the Gospel. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Luke, more than half of the gospel is is the the way towards Jerusalem, the final trip towards Jerusalem, and then you have a very long emphasis on the cross. So some scholars have referred to to gospels as uh, as the story of Jesus, just an introduction to his death on the cross. The cross is what takes the lion's share mm-hmm. of of the gospels, all of them. So it is it's really an interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it seems to me that it's so, so surprising, so incredible yes. yeah. that, that it will become 
the topic of research, of investigation, of study mm -hmm. throughout eternity for believers. This is what Ellie G. White says in Great Controversy, page 651. Yeah. So, yes, the cross is central because it is central for God. It's central for mm -hmm. Jesus. Well, it, it is a, a significant contrast to how a human might approach the uh, problem of the loss of peace and uh, issues of reconciliation with God. I mean, God chose not a reign through power, but God incarnate in Christ Jesus. You're saying the whole intention, the whole focus of Jesus' mission, and he explained it to uh, the disciples and in his word forever then, uh, was to experience the end of sin, death, and to experience it himself in that most cruel uh, uh, death of the cross. So uh, that brings me, um, uh, Dr. Cortez, to want to listen to how you uh, synthesize this matter of sin. How do you approach the, uh, the way God has addressed the sin problem in the cross. He, he addressed it not by annihilating his creation, but the determination to come among us and experience the cross. What does that reveal about the nature of sin and our sin problem? That is a, a very good question because you don't understand the depth of the message of the cross, the depth of its significance unless you understand the depth of the problem in which we were. So the cross is the solution to a problem. And, 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 and once we understand what sin is, then uh, you understand how great is God's salvation on the cross. The problem is that sin is also a mystery. Sin um, is, of course, we break God's law, but it goes way beyond that. It is is really it is really human beings attempting to become the rulers of their own life, is substituting substituting God in their own life. When when Adam and Eve uh, reached their hand to take the fruit of the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what they were doing, they were saying several things. One thing that they were saying was, God is not as good as he says he is. Because if he was good and loving as he says he is, he will let us eat for the, from this fruit and so that we could be like him. He doesn't want us to be like him. So God, we cannot trust God. God is not trustable. That is one thing. But the other thing that they, they implied was that God is not as just, righteous as he says he is. He says that he's going to kill us, but no, God is not going to do that. God is not, God, we can eat from this and he's not going to, to, to take the life out of us. And then that is, that is, that is the second thing that he said. But, but at the end, what they wanted to do is they wanted to become like God. It was a coup d'etat. You know, Adam and Eve were the rulers under God of this creation. But they didn't want to be under God. They wanted to be rulers uh, 
completely uh, without anyone to tell them anything. So that is basically what happens with sin. Sin is that kind of distrust. Is that it is also that um, unbelief in God's righteousness that He's going to keep His worth, and then it is this desire to to be God ourselves. In the end, that is the root of sin. But 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 sin goes beyond that. Sin has to do with our story. I have had family, for example, who have had Alzheimer's problems. And one of the things that happens with people with Alzheimer's, it, it is interesting that when they begin to lose, uh, you know, uh, the ability to, to understand what is happening around them, memory and all of that, they begin to go back to the, the very beginnings. And it is interesting that those things that hurt them in the past, uh, when they were very, uh, very little, very young infants, or or uh, little childs, or very young uh, teenagers, those things are the last ones to be forgotten. They come up to to the surface again as soon as we lose control of our minds, our memory. Things that lie beyond the surface begin to creep up. To the surface and I think that is also sin that is to say the memories the hurt the pain that 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 are buried in our in our minds in our in our in our memory that is the result of sin and in fact that is also one of the sources I that is what I think the Bible will talk about as as the heart part of the heart you know, out of the heart come all these issues, all these problems. And sin has to do with that. So sin is not simply an action of breaking the law. Sin is not only distrust. Sin is not only this desire to be God ourselves. Sin has to do with this history, this pain, these uh, memories that have shaped us, that are the source of of, of, of the things we do without understanding them, of our attitudes without understanding completely why we do some things and why we don't do other things, why we react in some ways. So, and that remains with us, I think, until Jesus comes and he transforms our, our body and he brings uh, healing and the healing of our sin is going to happen in I think in the millennium when we are able to see everything God did we are able to open all the all the files with the uh, with the with the recordings uh, all the uh, the information about what happened in this earth and we understand that God is really a loving God that we can trust completely in him and that instead of trying to deny us a benefit that was right, rightfully ours, he was trying to protect us. Yeah. And I think sin is going to be healed in that time. During, uh, during that, one, that is going to be part of the healing process. No? God opening himself completely, com total transparency to that, so that we can see into him. Mm -hmm. That is when we are going to have all this, all this healing, I guess. That is yes. going to be part of it. Now, it seems then uh, how we view sin uh, is an important 
perspective on our uh, understanding of the sufficiency of the cross. You're describing sin as more than the actions that come from distrust or uh, human uh, frailty. You're describing it as the nature of our heart. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why the cross is the solution to all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and because in the cross, it happened exactly the opposite of what happened in the Garden of, in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the Bible refers to the cross as, the, as a tree as well. It uses the word xulon, yeah. which means the wood or the tree. And uh, xulon. Uh, is used, uh, for example, in Romans 5. There is a, a, a very close parallelism between Adam at the, uh, at the tree and Jesus at the cross. And what happened is that in the cross, Jesus showed us that God loves us completely, so much, that he is willing to die himself. God is willing to die for us. Mm. It's interesting. Adam, Adam was was willing to become God. He is a human being who wants to become God. In the cross, you have God becoming human and uh. becoming in, and dying in order to save us. The Creator dying for the creature. That is an impressive thing. There is, you know, sometimes there is this idea that 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 we need to justify the character of God through the way we behave. And there may be some some element to that that we somehow our actions uh, reflect on the character of God. But the true uh, revelation of the character of God is in the cross. Now you you have spoken of that a couple, and I find that very very interesting um, because you're you're emphasizing that the cross reveals something about the character of God, that he's a God of love. But there, there are people who seem to focus on the cross in the context of the wrath of God. In fact, I could find, I'm sure, some uh, support in Scripture or other literature um, and say, well, the cross is God's wrath against sin. How... How how are you kind of uh, bringing those together, integrating those themes? Well, definitely the cross is is the place where God's wrath on sin is completely expressed, poured down. In fact, Jesus called the moment of the cross the moment of the cup. He once he was going to drink from the cup of God. And this cup really, it refers to the God's judgment upon sin. Now, in order to understand the relationship between the love mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the wrath of God on the cross, we need to understand that love is an essential attribute of God. The wrath is not an essential attribute of God. That is to say, Oh, uh, Felix, uh, that was interesting. Love is an essential characteristic. Wrath is not an essential characteristic. Is that what you yes. said? Ah, yes. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Why is this important? Because wrath 
is the response of love to something that threatens God's creation. That is to say, if there was no sin, if there was no threat to God's creation, there would be no wrath. So, wrath is forever. Wrath is, sorry, love is eternal. Love is forever. God, love is what God is. Wrath is what happens when a loving God meets a threat against his creatures. Let me explain by this. I, 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 we had a son in our family that was very sick and had to go through, um, through chemotherapy. And there were moments in which he was very vulnerable to any kind of infection. So we had to be very, very careful in the way we uh, took care of our home. So we were really completely radical in the way we took care of health at home in that time. If there was something that could infect him on some disease, that was banished completely from home. It could kill him. I, I was an unbending on that. And that's what happens with wrath. God is going to annihilate sin. He's not going to He's not going to, going to tolerate at all sin. The last particle of sin is going to be eradicated of the universe. It has to be that way because God loves his children. God wants them to be healthy forever. So God is going to be completely unrelentless in his purification of sin from the universe. So, so Felix, um, that, that affirms then that the wrath of God against sin is not a, uh, in the human perspective, we see it as a result like temper or anger. Instead, it is out of his love that he has this wrath towards sin. That, that's what you're describing. Definitely. It seems to me that one way to describe it, I, I have heard, I don't know who, who said this for the first time, this idea of what happens when an irresistible force meets an unmovable object. Mm. And that is what happened in the cross. The irresistible force of God's love met the unmovable object which was God's righteousness, his defense for the well-being of the universe, the justice of God. Well, yeah, under, understood that way. That, that is a very helpful integration of the idea of the wrath of God and the love of God. That's very helpful, Felix. Go ahead. So this meeting, this clash between this irresistible force and this unmovable object is what created the cross. The cross is that phenomenon, that event, in which it is impossible to describe. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, uh, Dr. Cortez, uh, you're leading us to think of the cross rather than a place of shameful end, a place of victory. Talk, talk to us a bit more about that. Well, yes, Colossians 2, 15 to 17 talks about the, uh, the, the cross as the place where God um, stripped Satan from his weapons. 
Hebrews 2, 14 to 16 talks about God as this powerful warrior, divine warrior to come, who comes like David to defeat the giant uh, Satan who had the power of death. And everyone was uh, afraid of this giant. And this powerful divine warrior comes and meets um, Satan at the cross and defeats him. That is a way... Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 to 16 describes the cross. What happened on the cross? You see, the power of Satan depends on the power of sin. The power of Satan depends on uh, and tempting us. And once he tempts us and we fall into sin, then we are part of his kingdom. He becomes the ruler of our lives because of death. Uh, and, and so Jesus died on the cross uh, and, and, and what he did there was first to solve the problem of the punishment. He says, I'm going to receive the punishment instead of, of, of my creatures. Mm -hmm. So that is the first element, but that is not the only element. The other element is that through the cross, it makes possible that God's blessings on humanity. Remember, Jesus is the first faithful, righteous son of Abraham that, uh, that is, uh, by right, is the inheritor of all the covenant promises of God. So what Jesus does is that since he was faithful and he was faithful even dying on the cross because of his faithfulness, uh, he is the inheritor of God's promises. And as the inheritor of God's promises, the main promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, but he's able to, to give the Holy Spirit to all those who uh, to claim him as his Savior, claim him as his head, claim him as his ruler. There, all of these are different metaphors to say the same thing. And so once we claim Jesus as our ruler, as my savior, as my priest, as my representative, the benefits of his justice, his righteousness are ours. So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. So Jesus pays the price of the punishment for, 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 for sin. But also Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit that, that uh, makes us uh, 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 able to, to, to live a righteous life before God. We're able to love God. And because of this love, we are righteous before God. So Jesus completely strips Satan from his weapons uh, at the cross. Now, uh, I think, uh, Dr. Cortez, there's a... Uh, moment of focus there that becomes somewhat difficult for us to uh, navigate. Some, some describe the cross as a demonstration of God's love. Some describe the cross as freeing us to live his life so that we I'm, I'm searching for a better word than deserve, but deserve or earn salvation. Others see it as a satisfaction for the atonement for sin. 
um, how, how how do we approach this uh, uh, idea of the cross? Not the idea of the cross. I'm sorry. The the reality of God's act uh, incarnate in Christ to provide a solution, as you've described, to the problem of punishment, to be faithful to the covenant, an inheritor of God's promise, giving us the Holy Spirit. So is it like Jesus lived this righteous life and went to the cross, now we can live a righteous life as well and earn salvation? So what happens in the cross is that Jesus, uh, as the Bible says, is that Jesus died in our stead, in our place, so that we could have, we could be justified through him, right? By faith, by grace through faith in him. So Jesus dies in our place. That is, that is the satisfaction, the justification aspect of the cross. And that is true. But that is not the only aspect of the cross. The other aspect of the cross is that the cross uh, reveals the glory of God. The cross, um, Jesus says that the cross was the moment in which he was going to be glorified. Uh, John 3 talks about the cross as the moment he was going to be exalted, lifted up. And what Jesus did on the cross is to lift up the glory of the love of God. He revealed to the universe the, the depth, the width, the, 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 the greatness of the love of God. And that is very important because that love, that, uh, that deep love is what makes possible for us to love God. It's not that, that Jesus has paid our sins, therefore we now need to be very uh, faithful to God and therefore live a life uh, of, 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 of faithfulness to him because that is our part to do. It's not like that. It's that when, once we see what happened on the cross, we began to love him, love him deeply, so much deeply that we say to God, God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I be more like you? God, how can I help others love you? And then, then becomes a divine, uh, I call a divine obsession to become like God, to be like him, to be loving as he is. This is not, this is not winning our salvation through faithfulness. No, it's just, God, how can I be like you? Is, is what happens. It's a life of love. It's not a life of obedience. It's a life of love that results in obedience. You see? But it's more than obedience to the Ten Commandments. It's obedience to God's plans for me. It's obedience. It's, it's love completely so that I am always looking, what else can I do? How can I, more, how can I grow more? How can I... Uh, how can I be understand you better so that I can be like you better? So we are not worried about salvation. We are just worried about how can I be more like him? And, and um, it, that is the difference. The motivation is Jesus 
saved me. I'm saved. I love him. And my life is a life of response of love. Not, I Jesus saved me, therefore I need to be obedient because if I'm not obedient, then I will not be able to be saved. Or because if I'm not obedient, I'm going to... to uh, to bring shame. No, it's not like that. It's a response of love. That is the only thing. Okay. Sanctification. Sanctification is the outwork of the principle of love in our lives. Okay. And, and that's why when, 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 when we look at the cross and we begin to love Jesus and we look at the life of Jesus and, and, and what happens is that, that the love that Jesus had for us inspire us to have love for others. Mm-hmm. So that, that the first gift of the Spirit is love. But also the first one of the first gifts is joy. It's just it's just I didn't have to do anything and I'm loved in such a way. There is joy. There is you just want to jump. And then there is peace. Because of Christ we have peace. Romans 5 1. There's peace. And of of course there comes patience and there comes all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. That, you see, this is what obedience looks like. Joy, love, peace, uh, and all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Felix, I, let me see if I'm following you well here. First, uh, in the cross, we see the salvation of God through Jesus. Uh, we are saved, God's act in Jesus, the cross, giving himself in our place. I, I, I can get my mind around that. And then secondly, you're describing that the cross reveals the glory of God, which is his love. Uh, so that love provides uh, freedom from sin in that, and, and I think that's the third thing I picked up, that when our focus is on Jesus and his love seen in the cross and his sacrifice, there is more than a human response. The Holy Spirit, it's like the sovereign reign of God. As we pray, then God has fulfilled his covenant to give us the Holy Spirit. And we, in love, want to be more and more like Jesus. So I have then a basic question. I have a basic question. Uh, and I think you answered about I'd like us in our last few minutes here just to focus on this. Is that life that we experience in a response of love to God, our fitness for heaven, that life lived out by the Holy Spirit? Do we... Do we focus on that human experience of that transformed life as our fitness for heaven? Or is heaven, eternity, a gift provided through God as we see his love on the cross, his sacrifice, his satisfaction, his atonement, sufficient for our salvation and the life we live an experience in the here and now of growth, a response. Uh, so is our fitness for heaven in the cross or is it in the life we live now? Uh, that's that's a, a very good question. 
I, I would say that our fitness of uh, to heaven is completely based on the cross. Uh, but let me unpack this a little bit. It is on the cross because Jesus uh, achieved our salvation there, but it does not end up there. Jesus asked us to take our cross as well. If you want to follow me, take your, take your cross. So let me explain how I see this. What makes us fit to heaven is that we do exactly the opposite of what happened in Adam. Adam, in the garden of the, before the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, he distrusted God. He thought that was not was not righteous enough to follow up with his uh, commandment. That if if he ate, he was going to die. And then third, he wanted to be God himself. The response to that, the opposite to that, is love. Love is trust. But love is also a, 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 a understanding the righteousness of God. That cannot be love without righteousness. Love without righteousness is really um, uh, tergiversation. Uh, 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 it's, uh, it's not love. But then love, a love for God means I am a creature. And I am, uh, I, I submit myself to him. Love then is what makes us fit to heaven. Okay. I think that um, when we get to heaven, we are going to continue to grow in love. You see, we love him here so much that uh, the love, uh, we, we, we will be able to die for him. We will be able to, to, to give up anything that keeps us away from him. A person who loves God is able to do that. But when we get to heaven and when we see what heaven is like and the relationship that exists between God the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit so intimate, so close, and then when we see the atmosphere of heaven, peaceful, joyful, uh, trusting, all of that, when we see all of that, we are going to, to say, Jesus, did you leave all of this to come to earth to save us? When we understand how much God left in order to save us, our love is going to grow. You see, this principle of love is which leads us to obedience. But these principles of love will continue to grow in heaven. It's not that we reach a, a position that we are perfect now and, and, and that's it. We we are re, we reach a point in which we don't know we don't need to greet to grow anymore. When we get to heaven, we will continue to grow, and as we continue to study through eternity about the cross of Christ, we will continue. Con we will continue to grow in our in our love, in our uh, personal commitment to God is is going to be a virtuous circle you see constantly uh, deepening that song comes to mind more about Jesus I would know <laughs> yes yeah a constant growth in his love through and it's his love that transforms ah that's that's excellent 
Thank you, Mr. Cortez. Felix, thank you so much. I appreciate your spending uh, this time with us today. My pleasure. It was, uh, it was a joy to speak about the cross of Christ, definitely. And uh, friends who have joined the conversation by listening, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep thinking and keep believing.